to try to put some kind of punctuation mark uh, on my last seven years. Like, what do I want to say to like summarize it all? Uh, and that's impossible, but I'm going to do the best I can. So like this is the scripture I would want to read to you. Um, and this is the message I would want you to hear. And maybe this is the scripture uh, and the sermon I need to hear. So it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one, even though they are many. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we were given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like God wanted. If all were one in the same part, what would happen? But, but as it is, there are many parts and one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And this might be the most important part. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need that. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor, so that there won't be division, and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. Amen. All right. So, uh, we've been doing a series on film, right? We do this in June. It's like a tradition. Um, and uh, today's film is Lars and the Real Girl, and it's actually the first film I showed. So, I don't know, five or six years ago, we didn't even have capability to have audio on the screens, so I showed the movies at my house uh, on Thursday nights, and then we would talk about them uh, on Sundays, uh, and now we get to watch them at the church, which is pretty cool, right? So it's the first movie I showed, and I think uh, it was important to me for it to be the last film. And we do this series in part because we realize that stories are what shape us. Stories are where we find identity, where we understand where we come from, where we're going, what life's about, our core values. That doesn't happen through rules. That happens through stories, through lives, through faces, through the concrete other, right? And the best form of storytelling we have, at least most of the best stories I engage in, right, are from books, they're from television, it's from film. And so as Christians, how do we engage the things around us in ways that can be edifying? And so that's, that's why we sort of do this series. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Lars and the Real Girl, because you need some background, right? So here's the situation. Lars is uh, lonely. He's like a young adult male, and he is introverted, 
He is neurodivergent. Uh, he has a hard time. He wants to connect because he's a human and we need it, and he doesn't know how. Anthony, this is such a gift to see you, brother. This is like such a surprise. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. And so he doesn't know what to do because he wants human connection, but he's so introverted that it's awkward for him. He, he, he struggles, so he, he doesn't. He isolates. That's his response, right? So he's isolated. Um, he also doesn't have his parents. His mother died in childbirth. Uh, his older brother, significantly older, left when Lars was pretty young. He was left with his father, who was dealing with extreme grief over the death of his wife, and himself, somewhat introverted, just went inward. He wasn't available, right? So Lars has learned this in some capacity. And now, as the film starts, he's actually living with his brother, who had left, right, left home. He's now living with his brother and his sister-in-law. His brother's name's Gus. His sister-in-law's name's Karen. He lives with them, but he doesn't really live with them. They want him to stay in the house. He doesn't feel comfortable, and so he lives in the garage. Um, and this keeps him, in some ways, protected. Human touch literally hurts him, right? Uh, he, he feels deep anxiety and fear about it. And so, in his need for human connection and his inability to know how to get that in a normal way, uh, he shows up to Gus and Karen's house for dinner one night with a life-size female doll. <laughs> she is in a wheelchair. Her name is Bianca. Lars, in, his, in Lars's mind, she is real. Absolutely real, right? So he's like, this is Bianca. She's a missionary. Uh, from overseas, she doesn't speak much English. He speaks for her. So he'll be like, what's that? And then he speaks, right? You can, it is, I mean, it's so awkward and hilarious. It's like an office episode, right? So awkward, but like, he like shows up and they are, they're like, oh my gosh. Because he says, I'm going to bring a date to dinner. And they're so excited, like he met someone. And then all of a sudden it's a doll and she's just sitting there, awkward. And they're like, what's going on, right? So the wife doesn't know what to do. So she puts like down four salads and Gus is like, she's not going to eat anything. She's like, I don't know what to do. And so at this point, right, Gus is, uh, my brother's crazy. Like we have to institutionalize him. Like what, what are we supposed to do? Right? Like I, I knew things were bad, but I didn't know it was like this. And uh, so the first stop is to the doctor in this very small town. They live in a very small town. Everyone knows everyone, right? Uh, which can make things a lot worse uh, in some situations like this. They go to the doctor slash the town therapist. She does both, right? So she takes a look. She, I mean, literally the next scene, she has blood pressure. She has the band on Bianca, and she's like squeezing like, what kind of reading are you going to get there? I don't know. Anyway, but she's trying to get like, like, Tell me more, right? Tell me more, Lars. And so uh, when she finally meets with Gus and Karen, she says, Bianca's here for a reason. They're like, why? And she says, well, I don't know. That's why you're going to have to pay attention. I don't know, but she's here for some reason. So they're like, well, what do we need to do? And she says, well, is he dangerous? Is he violent? Is something wrong? Like, no, 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 he's sweet. Okay, then you need to go along with it. And it's like, what? Go along with it. And so... Uh, that's a tough task in a small town. And so the first clip you're going to watch is Gus and Karen, their attempt to go to the church, the local church that they attend, 
to see if, uh, if they might go along with it. Not that funny. It's not that funny. We don't want anything to do with her. She's a golden calf. We all know what happened with that. Well, he's not worshiping her. They're just dating. Some of these young people have no willpower. He's sick. All right, he's sick. I guess we, we were just hoping if we came to you, you could help, you know, just pave the way a little. If, if you could just try to understand, it's... He is a nice I just man. Can try. I don't even know why we're here. This is, oh, for heaven's sake, what's the big deal? Sally, your cousin puts dresses on his cats. Hazel, your, your nephew gave all his money to a UFO oh. club. Now, Ernie, everybody knows your first wife was a klepto. She wasn't. Then why is she buried in a pair of my earrings? Yeah. Now, that's enough. These things happen. Lars is a good boy. You can depend on me. Thanks, Mrs. Gruner. Well, he's not bringing her to church now, is he, Reverend Buck? Well... The question is, as always, what would Jesus do? I would like to uh, take the opportunity to welcome all of our new visitors to our church today. Bianca, it's good to see you. Morris, God bless. God bless. Yes. Okay. Thank Are you so you? much. You're welcome, my dear. Get in close. Be careful. <laughs> well, Watch yourself. Easy, easy. Yes. Agnes. How are you? These are for you, Bianca. Thank you. Bianca, this is my friend, Mrs. Gruner. She has a darling figure. Those are nice, huh? They're not real, so they last forever. Isn't that neat? Whew. Now that's a beautiful response to someone who's clearly like hurting or reaching out. What a beautiful response for them to say, yeah, Lars is welcome here and so is Bianca. Now, I don't know a lot of churches uh, where Lars could walk through the door with a wheelchair, but I know one, right? And that's here. I feel very confident um, we would see Lars. That's what he needs, right? He needs to be seen. We need to hear the desperation and we need to learn how to love. The scene itself gives incredible insight into why Bianca's here. So the last line, what does he say about the flowers? They're not real, so... Yeah, what doesn't last forever? People. Lots of relationships. Pastors. And that's hard. That hurt, that's hurtful. His mom died while he, she was giving birth to him, and his father didn't forgive him for that. His brother left the first chance he got, 
and he feels incredibly uncomfortable around people. No wonder, no wonder he created someone that will never die, that can never reject him, and that can't leave. I don't think Lars is the only one who has these fears. In fact, these fears generate a lot of our unhealthy behavior, right? Generate a lot of anxiety. That if someone really saw me and really knew me, that would be the end of it. They wouldn't love me. So this is like Lars pushing. Do you really love me? Do you see me? So all of a sudden, this ridiculous plot feels very human. Feels very much like what we all have to learn how to deal with. Change, loss, death, hurt, right? But on our own, I don't know how we cultivate the ability to deal with those things. I don't know how we do it. But together, it feels very different. And so the town not only welcomes her to church, but over time, all of a sudden, it's like, well, Bianca needs a life of her own. So they say, you know, Lars, it would be great if she came and worked at the salon three days a week. So pretty soon, Bianca's like, in, in the salon, they cut her bangs. They're like, we better like this because they're not growing back. <laughs> uh, she starts volunteering at the hospital. Uh, so uh, she literally ends up with a full life, right? And the more the town shows up and the more his family shows up and the more he sees that they love him, Suddenly, him and Bianca start fighting, which is interesting because there's only one person on the right. But like, and at one point, like, it's like well into the movie, right? He's, he's like, I shouldn't have to look at a schedule to hang out with my girlfriend or whatever. And they're like listening through the door. And Karen, the sister's like, they never fight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like his tone. And... More, slowly over time, not only has that happened, but now, suddenly, Bianca gets sick. Like, really sick. Sick like Lars is scared. And so, in the midst of his fear of losing a fake thing, in some, right, in some sense, uh, again, you'll see how the church responds.
We sent Gus and Karen to the movies. They didn't want to leave you two. I'm glad that they... I'm glad they left. I feel terrible that all this is happening so close to the baby coming. And that's how life is, Lars. Everything at once. We brought casseroles. Is there something that I should be doing right now? No, dear. You eat. We came over to sit. That's what people do when tragedy strikes. They come over and sit. Okay. Don't you feel a little better? You know, man, I really wish that's what people did when tragedy strikes. <laughs> because too often what people do when tragedy strikes is, um, you know what you should do? Uh, you know what would solve that? Uh, you know Bianca's not real. Uh, she's not alive, right? I mean, that's what people actually do when tragedy strikes. Uh, you want me to do something for you? Do you want me to say something really awkward and uncomfortable to you? Um, so that's certainly my nature. I've had to learn through a long process of marriage and friendship and others. Uh, I had to let go of uh, my vanilla ice streak. If you've got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the mic while the DJ revolves it. That, that's my nature. That's what I want to do. But you, what you come to realize is like there's literally nothing in the world more powerful more healing, more redemptive than loving presence. Nothing, nothing. You just are, I'm just here. I see you, all of you, and I'm right here, and I'm not going anywhere. Because most of the problems of the world are intractable. We will not be able to solve them. The problems I struggle with, I don't know, there is no silver bullet, there is no quick fix. And the moment we get used to that and say, but you know what I can do? is I can make a casserole. Well, I can't, but I can sit. I can make a joke. And I'm going to be here. I love you, and I see you, and I care about your pain. Because the town knows what you all know is that this isn't about Bianca. This is about Lars. This is, in some sense, about Lars healing. And when you heal, you start to let things go, and that's really difficult. And I need my friends and I need my church right, to be there, to say, I'm here. Um, so 1 Corinthians, right, I want to read just a couple of sentences that I already read, and I want, I want to talk about this in two ways. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. 
The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. And my mind, and I'm guessing a lot of your minds, I immediately go to thinking about this in terms of we're a community and I'm one part, Joe, I'm the eye, right? And Jenny is the ear and Karen is the whatever, the hand, right? We, that's how you think, I'm guessing, when you read this. You're one part and we all need each other. But I want to stop for a minute and I want you to think about this verse in a different way. I want you to think about all the parts that make up you. I want to think about your the parts of you that you are the most ashamed of and the parts of you that you think are the least presentable and the parts of you that you feel like you don't want anyone to see and those are the parts that you need to love the most. Those are the parts you have to be the softest with. Those are the parts you have to give a voice to. That's how you heal. So you start by being loving presence to yourself. Because Lars, unlike every other character, puts his uh, unpresentable parts on display. Bianca is a red neon sign that says, I am not well. She is like a billboard that I am, I'm lonely. I'm going through something, right? But Gus has all kinds of problems, and he just hides them. Karen's got all kinds of problems, and she hides them. And we've got all kinds of problems, and we hide them. And then no one gets to come make us a casserole and sit with us because they have no idea. So what would it be like to first start with ourselves, and the better we get at that, and the better we get at presenting that, the more other people get to say, I see that and I'm here, and I love you. Do you see how powerful that is? So Lars is like, here's my crazy. And they're like, you sit, dear. You eat, right? We're here to be with you. And Bianca, because of that, doesn't just get sick. Bianca dies. And Lars drives that narrative, right? Because the moment he feels secure, the moment he feels loved, the moment he recognizes they're not going anywhere, Bianca is no longer necessary. So we'll watch the final clip. Lara's asked us not to wear black today. He did so to remind us that this is no ordinary funeral. We are here to celebrate Bianca's extraordinary life. From her wheelchair, Bianca reached out and touched us all in ways we could have never imagined. She was a teacher. She was a lesson in courage. And Bianca loved us all, especially Lars, especially him. Thank you.
a lesson in courage indeed to let people see those parts of you that are the most hurt. Ooh, so much courage. So I, I find it interesting. I've been thinking about this so much since I watched it again. So much that the world, the way that society operates, the way I operate, is to take a human and to objectify them, to turn them into an object. This is what we do. We objectify in all sorts of ways. And Bianca is like the perfect manifestation of this, taking a woman and then turning that woman into an object to be used, right? We do this too often and in a myriad ways, and the film reverses the logic. The film takes an object and humanizes it and gives it dignity, like elevates it in terms of its worth. And I can think of only one thing powerful enough to do that, and that's love. Love can literally take what is inanimate and give it life. That love can take what is dead and bring it back to life. That love can take a relationship that's broken and repair it. That love can elevate what society might collapse or reduce. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all the parts in one body. And I think you all know the next chapter because you've been to a wedding. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul follows those words about the least presentable and the most hidden and the special place they have with love is patient and kind and it does not boast. And it humanizes and it elevates and it brings people back to life. So many of you have been brought back to life because of love, because of faith, right? I was brought back to life because of you, right? I came back to life because I found a place that said, we see you and we love you. That I could stand up here and share all of my pain and feel like I'm Lars and I'll have a casserole waiting. You did that. I showed this a long time ago as the very first movie because I was, ho I, I prayed, this is what I want the church to be. What is my, what is my goal for Collister? What's my vision? I want Collister to be a place where someone like Lars could come and be brought back to life because of love. That's what I wanted. And I'm showing it today because that's what you are. That's what you all have become. You did it, right? And th th it's, you, it works. People come back to life here. Sandy comes back to life here. You did it. And I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of it, right? That every person who comes through the door, that every person, we don't leave our things at the door. We bring them directly in and we all say, I see you. I hear that. I love you. No matter what. Let's pray.